So this morning, we are going to be dealing with competing worldviews. I'm going to get into, in a second, what a worldview is. And, and this morning, we're probably only going to get to one, maybe two, but I don't want to rush us. I mean, we've been covering a lot of ground, and it may have felt like it's been a bit of a breakneck pace. So I really want to cover this well, because this first worldview we're going to be dealing with this morning is so prevalent in our culture. I mean, it's practically the air we breathe. And uh, so I want to take our time with it and be able to really absorb it. But uh, before we do, before we get into that, however, I want to open it up for questions from last week, because last week was a lot of information. I realized we ran out of time, and there was no time for questions. So in case anyone has, has any questions, Bob is the man with the mic, and um, wait until he gets to you if you do. If not, that's okay, but... Last week, if you remember, we dealt with the issue of morality, subjective morality versus objective morality. Where does our morality come from? It was a lot. So if anybody has any questions on that for a review before we get started, I just wanted to open that up. Yes, Theo, wait, wait for Bob. was, oops, there we go. Sometimes Jesus' strategy when he was dealing with the Pharisees was that uh, he would flip it around and ask them a question, and if they refused to answer his question, then he would not answer theirs. Mm -hmm. Because they obviously knew the answer to the question anyway, and they were just trying to trap him. Sure. So I'm just wondering, have you ever run into that yourself where you've kind of thrown it back at people, and then you've kind of said, well, if you won't answer my question, I don't feel I'm compelled to answer your question. Well, I I've, no, I've never done that. And it's funny that you being a lawyer would ask that question. <laughs> so I've never done that, but that seems a, a bit contentious. And typically in my conversations now, I, I, don't, I don't like confrontation. And so I, I would feel really nervous saying, well, I'm not going to answer yours if you don't answer mine. Because, because most of the time, most of the time what, what you'll find when you ask people questions is they give you the, the blank stare because they've never thought about what you're asking them. They've never really thought about their own worldview or the assertions that they're making there. A lot of times people, non-Christian and Christian alike, are just parroting things they've heard in culture. So if you ask them the question, they won't necessarily dig in their heels and say, I'm not going to answer that question. They're going to say, oh, I never thought about that before. Or if they're one of those types, they might just make up some answer on the fly that's just a bunch of smoke. There are people like that as well. I'm sure we've all met those. So if you, I suppose if you want to be contentious about it, you could, but I, not necessarily a... a a situation I would do. Anybody else? And if you think about it over the class and you have questions about it by the end of the class, if you think, oh yeah, that's right, I wanted to know about this, definitely feel free when we open it for questions at the end. It's not like we can only ask questions on this at the end, so, so that is still open. All right, so today we're going to be talking about um, 
postmodernism. I'm going to put resources resources that I recommend for dealing with postmodernists up at the beginning if you want to write those down, if you're interested in any of those. Um, those are some great resources. Um, I, I thought about putting this at the end because it will make more sense once you've gotten a good grasp of what postmodernism is, but let's face it, we always run out of time at the end. So I wanted to really give you the opportunity, if you're interested in getting any of those resources, if you want to ask me about any of them. Um, Saving Truth is a new book. I just wanted to highlight that one. They're all really great, but Saving Truth by Abdu Murray, he is a former Muslim come to Christ, and he, what that book is about is about our current post-truth culture. It's we, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but in 2016, the word of the year was post-truth. And it's this sense of, well, maybe there's truth, I don't really care. And it's a new, I'm, it's, it's, it's different than your truth is relative to my truth. It's, eh, I don't, I don't care. So that's a, it's a pretty um, important book for things that are going on in our culture right now. So I want to get in uh, quickly to what is a worldview. We're just going to cover this. I've used that word a lot, and some of you may be wondering, what is a worldview in the first place? A worldview, simply put, is a view of the world. All right, that's simple. But there are things that are covered in a worldview that comprise a worldview. They need to answer four questions. They need to answer origin meaning, morality, and destiny. So any worldview that we look at, we, we live according to a Christian worldview. So what is the answer that the Christian worldview provides to the, to the question of origin? Where did we come from? The answer to that, of course, is God. God created everything. Um, every worldview that we deal with this week and next week and maybe the week after answer will have an answer to these four questions and they differ wildly so you can picture a worldview like a like a puzzle and i mentioned this maybe at the first or second week uh, greg kokel whom i love when he talks about worldviews he'll oftentimes have a, a puzzle in a box and he just opens it and he just dumps it right on the floor and he says this is what people's worldviews usually look like why because the important thing to understand about worldviews is that literally everyone has one. Everyone. You have one. Your kids have one. Everyone you run into has one. The question is, is it a worldview you've thought through or have you gotten it by accident? Have you picked it up in song lyrics or a movie that you watched? A lot of times people will, will have experiences in pop culture and they'll think, yeah, that, that, I think that, that makes sense to me. That resonates with me. That is how the majority of people pick up their worldview. So it's not a question of do you have one, it's how did you get it? And does it make coherent sense? Is it a coherent worldview? So for example, uh, Christians who haven't thought their, through their worldview, and there's a lot of Eastern influence that has come into the United States and this idea of reincarnation and some Christians who aren't knowledgeable of, of the Christian worldview, they might sort of pick up along the worldview buffet reincarnation. 
Well, does reincarnation fit into the Christian worldview? It does not. And why does it not? Because Jesus came to die for sinners like me, and it is appointed once to man to die and then the judgment. So reincarnation is a system of paying off wrongdoings. You die and then you come back because you did wrong stuff and you need to come back and you need to pay and you need to pay and you need to pay. And that is the system of reincarnation. If Jesus Christ came once to pay for my sins and your sins, there is no coming back and paying and paying and paying because it's paid. So we, ha we have to understand the different puzzle pieces of the different worldviews and how they fit in. So um, meaning, is there meaning in life? That is a, a second question that will be answered by worldviews. The Christian worldview is the meaning in life is to know God and to glorify him. But different worldviews will answer that question differently. Morality. We talked about morality last week as a foundation for going forward into these worldviews. But every worldview has an answer to this question. Where does morality come from? What does it mean? Is it objective? Is it subjective? And destiny, where are we going? Now, again, in the Christian worldview, our destiny is to be with the Lord. After the resurrection, the final resurrection happens and the new heavens and the new earth come down and we are with the Lord forever. That is our ultimate destiny. But different worldviews will have different answers to this question. So that is what I mean by a worldview. There ought to be consistency and there ought to be, there ought to be experiential relevance as well. And we'll, we'll keep that in mind when we're talking about this worldview today which is postmodernism. Is there experiential relevance to our worldview, to their worldview, to upcoming worldviews in, in life as well? So, what is postmodernism? Well, to begin with, postmodernism is essentially a reaction to modernism. All right, what is modernism? Modernism, modernism kind of, there, there are differing dates offered, but modernism kind of came in with the Enlightenment, um, you know, a few hundred years ago, where, where we had this, in, in history, we had the church's authority, and people followed the church, church and state, but people followed the authority and the traditions of the church. Then the Enlightenment came in with all of this scientific advances and, and reason and rationale. And hear me, I'm not, I'm not doing, pu putting up a dichotomy between faith and reason. I'm not saying that you either have to have one or you have to have the other. I believe that you can have active trust or faith and reason and that they go together quite well. But there was formed this sort of split in the Enlightenment where scientific advancements, we are so smart, we can find out the answers to everything, we will, we will come up with answers scientifically and through human reason, the answers to everything. So this went on and went on and went on, and, the, and, and there was almost a sense of a promise of we're going to solve everything, we're going to fix all the problems, we're going to come up because we humans can use our intellect and we can figure out everything. So about around the 1960s, there was a reaction against this. And postmodernism 
began to come into play. And, and we realized the, the failure, essentially, of modernism. Now, I, I am kind of given to modernism, so I'm not going to bash modernism as a whole and say modernism is modernism is bad or wrong or anything, just like I'm not going to bash postmodernism as a whole. I find a lot wrong with postmodernism, but it's not wholly wrong. There were reasons why postmodernists came in and had this reaction to, to modernism. But because it's reactionary, typically good decisions aren't made by reacting against one. And so there was one extreme at the pendulum of, of, of modernism and reason, and then there was a, a pendulum swing all the way over to postmodernism. We're going to reject all of that. It's kind of, a, it's kind of a mood, and it's very slippery. It's important to know that all postmodernisms, you cannot categorize them as they are all like this. When I talk about postmodernism, I'm going to talk about postmodernism as a whole, and it's kind of a spectrum. If you guys, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Myers-Briggs personality tests. So that, too, is a spectrum. If you, if you take this personality test and you come up with, I'm an introvert or an extrovert for the, for the first letter, it's not, I'm either this or I'm this. It's, I'm an introvert. A, you know, I'm over here on the introvert scale, but I'm not all the way over here. And if I'm an extrovert, I, you know, I'm somewhere. It's the same with postmodernism. People, because it is so prevalent in our culture, people just sort of absorb it by osmosis at this point. And so when you say postmodernist, there might be people who are extreme thoroughgoing postmodernists and there will be other people who they might not even know what the word means but when you talk to them and when you understand postmodernism then you will be able to see ah that's that's where that is coming from so the thing about postmodernists is that facts don't really matter to them generally speaking you can and, and this is different from a lot of the other worldviews we're going to be talking about. Emotions are huge when it comes to the postmodernist, and you can give them all the facts in the world, but because truth is relative, it doesn't matter to them. The facts, <clears throat> you, can, you can talk to them. Just like I mentioned a few weeks ago, this conversation, this three-hour-long conversation that I had, it happened to be my brother that I was having this conversation with. He's a thoroughgoing postmodernist, and even though I don't know that he, he knows what, what that is, but when, when he was sending me all these YouTube videos about, you know, secret knowledge, secret teachings of Jesus that have been suppressed, and secret knowledge, and secret this and that, I sent him, I initially, before I started doing my questions, I sent him a long factual response as to, well, historically this is what happened and this is what happened at the Council of Nicaea and why it came forth and blah, blah, blah. What was his response? Well, that's just one guy's opinion versus another one. Here's another YouTube video. Would you like to watch that? <laughs> so, so. I, it's not to say that with him being a postmodernist, I am never going to present facts. That's not true, because a postmodernist will say, well, that's your truth, but this is my truth, 
And so I can present facts and he will, he will listen to them as that's my truth, but he'll still hear them. However, that's not the primary mode, mode of interaction that I'm gonna take with him because I realize all the facts in the world aren't really that important to him. He talks about what is, what is your path, and this is my path. And so I can give him all of the reasons and logic and arguments and everything else, and that's just not going to work work with him. So we need to deal with postmodernists in our life in a different way. Postmodernists typically reject authority. Again, in modernism, there was a lot of authority claims, knowledge, rationale, and authority. And it's, again, it's a reaction against this. So including authority in the church. They, they just, they, they're very skeptical people and they just, they just do not want to have anything to do with authority. They also, they also, um, you'll notice in, in their rejection of authority, what is, I, I, I don't know that this is, has been written down anywhere, but we've all heard the term zeitgeist. It means the spirit of the age. And it seems to me, anyway, from what I've observed in America, our spirit of the age is personal autonomy. Don't tell me what to do. Don't force your morality on me. Who do you think you are to tell me X, Y, or Z? So in this, in this all, basically worship of personal autonomy, Postmodernism really flourishes in this, in this environment because America is all about, now anyway, America is all about what do I want? Get out of my way because this is, this is what I want. This is the way I want things. We, we see this a lot, especially in pop culture and the customization of everything. It's all the way you want it. And so it's, it, it is... I am, it's, it's an interesting dichotomy because as we're gonna see soon, postmodernists are also very interested in community. But there's this, there's this sort of, I want community, but I also want my personal autonomy. I want my truth. I want my way of thinking. They also reject what are called meta-narratives. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't include this, except it is important in the postmodern story. A meta-narrative is, a, a narrative is, a, is a story or an account. So a meta-narrative is an overarching story or account. So if, if this is what they do, then they reject the meta-narrative of God. God, creation, fall, redemption, ultimate restoration. That, that is a meta-narrative. What they come down to is their own personal narratives and, and uh, cultural narratives. So you, Ed, have your own personal narrative, but your personal narrative is made up of all of your cultural experiences that have, that have impacted you. You're not part of a greater narrative that we're all a part of. You have your personal narrative, Theo. You have your personal narrative. We all have our own personal narratives. It's all about, it's all about us. And there is no grand overarching story that we're all a part of. It's just all, it's all broken down to us. As you might have gotten a sense from 
what I've talked about so far, the thing is relativism reigns in this worldview. I mean, there is no objective anything. Well, it's funny because I was listening to, to a guy um, at the C.S. Lewis Institute last month. Our module was on um, cultural apologetics, and he, he, um, his very uplifting topic on this Saturday morning was postmodernism, cultural Marxism, and the death of the individual. That was fun. <laughs> but he, he, point, he made a point that, that, um, that postmodernism rejects meta-narratives, but it itself has become a meta-narrative. Of course, they don't really, that doesn't really occur to them, but, it, but, but a postmodernist will, does, does now think, because it is so prevalent in our culture, that that is, that is the overarching story, even if they don't consciously think that way. So with relativism, all truth is only relative to other truth. There is, no, there is no objective standard for what is actually true. What is true for me may not be true for you. When I'm talking to my brother, for example, um, I can offer him all of these facts, and he's still going to hold on to the beliefs that he wants to hold on to. Why? because it resonates with him. Well, that's nice, but if it goes against actual facts and actual reality, um, but, but the great thing, and I don't wanna cause you guys to, to lose hope when it comes to postmodernists, because I want to encourage you, even though you can't use facts to get through to them, the Holy Spirit can get through to them. And again, I want to remind us all, we're not the Holy Spirit. So we can have these interactions and it can be very relaxed and very um, normal and natural because it's not our job to change their hearts. We can't change their hearts. We can't, um, we can't bring them to the Lord. Only, only the Holy Spirit does that. So the pressure is off of us. We can just talk to them and we can, we can interact with them, which is what they want anyway. So they, they have their own personal truth that they, will, that they will assert, and they are very suspicious of people claiming to have truth. You can see where this would be a problem for us because that is what we claim. Now, this is not exclusive to the Christian worldview because actually, about all the worldviews claim to have the truth, because why would you believe it if you didn't think that it was true? <laughs> so it's not that Christians are the only ones that claim to have the truth, but if you're talking to a postmodernist and you want to be dogmatic about, I have the truth, here it is, they're gonna, they're, whether they say it or not, they're in their head gonna be skeptical of you and your truth claim because they don't believe that there is an objective truth. And they're gonna think that you're trying to do a power play with them. Again, authority, assertions, truth. If there is an objective truth over them, then what do they have to do with that? They're gonna have to obey that and they don't want any part of that. So in all of this, the feelings are much more important to them in determining what is valid. Not, not what is actually valid. And what's interesting, 
when I had that conversation with my brother, I didn't feel that I got anywhere except that I, except that I gained information. I gained a lot of great information about my brother. And of course, my brother and I are in a long-term relationship. He's not, you know, unless something bad happens, he and I are going to be in relationship until one of us dies. So I didn't need to, I didn't need to think to myself, okay, I need to, I need to make huge amount of progress or else. I'm, I'm just taking in information. But what happened was, the next morning, he calls me. I mean, it, it was before 8 o'clock in the morning. He calls me, and he says, he says um, I wanted to talk to you about some problems that I have with the church. Now, of course, since, since he's my brother, we have, the, we have the common upbringing. We both have the common experience. Of, of where we went to church and, and those type of things. So it's not, as it, it's not as if he had to explain where he came from. I knew where he came from. So we had this, we had this conversation the very next morning, and he's, he's talking to me about problems that he had with our specific church upbringing experience, which I, I said, hey, I get that. I, I said, the church that we went to, I said, that's why I left. I said, to me, it felt like everyone was just there punching their time clock, that I didn't, whoops, I didn't see, um, I didn't see that the walk matched the talk. And so I thought, well, what, what are we all doing here then? And as soon as I was confirmed and my mom said, you don't have to come here anymore, I was out of there. And so was he. And so, but during the course of the conversation, so he so me, he, me being a very strong believer could validate that he wasn't crazy in his experience, but him having this experience, he has to still look at me and say, all right, well, if she agrees with me here, but yet she is a very committed believer who has a brain in her head, well, why? Why, if this over here is true, and we both had this experience, but yet she's a believer, and she's not saying, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. She's got more to it than that. Then it, 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 it's going to have to cause him to think more. And I was able to also, since experience is so important to him, I was also able to explain to him the importance that I find in biblical meditation. Now, of course, he wants to talk about meditation. I'm gonna talk about biblical meditation, and I'm gonna talk about the importance of biblical meditation and how that affects my soul, because these soulish experiences are very important to him and how, how it changes me. So we can have common ground even if I make the distinction of, well, Eastern meditation says this, but that's not what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. And so we can have these conversations. I'm not bombarding him with facts because he's, that's gonna be like water off a duck's back. He's just not even gonna get that. But since it's all about personal truth and your own path, I can tell him that, well, you know, these things work for you, but here's what works for me. Facts and evidence work for me and I, I'm afraid that this other thing over here that you're talking about doesn't work for me. Guess what? As a postmodernist, he has to listen to that because I'm talking about 
I'm I am explaining to him how what he does doesn't work for me, and it has to, it puts in his head, oh, there is this other way of, of processing and dealing with things, and it puts, as Greg Kogel would say, it puts a stone in his shoe. It causes him to think about it. And then after that conversation, then he texted me again that afternoon. So you know he's, he just continues to think about th these things. I didn't have to get all the way to the end of, do you want to make a decision for Jesus? This is just an ongoing conversation that we're going to have, and it's very friendly, and it's very relaxed. There is no contention to it at all. So postmodernists are also very cynical and skeptical. And you see that in our culture, regardless of if someone identifies themselves as a postmodernist, our culture is rampant with cynicism and skepticism on everything. And, and uh, postmodernists are, are that way. Now, an interesting thing about another interesting thing about postmodernism that you might find hard to believe is that since there's so much relativism in postmodernism, they actually will apply this to the words that we use, books that we read. The reader imbues their own meaning to the words. Let that sink in a second because I realize that makes no sense whatsoever. You can, re you can, two people can read the same words and the postmodernist will say, well, this is what it means to me. This is what I think it means. They will put their own meaning on the words. Now, can you see, I hope that you can see how this immediately breaks down any possibility of communication. Because if they're reading a book and you're reading the same book and you say, they say, well, this is what it means to me. And you say, yeah, but this is what the author said. And they'd say, I don't care. This is what it means to me. It was funny. I, I, when you learn about these things, you think, well, I've never run into this in real life. And this just really makes no sense to me. I don't understand how someone could, could think that this could work in, in, in life when you're talking to other people and you want to have some sort of communications. If, if um, chair means one thing to me and it means something completely different to you, I don't know where you'd go with that. But I happen to be at this um, philosophy meetup group a couple of years ago, and it was really nice. I don't remember what the topic was, but then they opened it up to discussion on, on what it was. And there was this postmodernist behind me. I know that because he identified himself as such, and he was very exercised. And he said, he said, I don't even know what we're all doing here because all words, the definitions of words are relative to the individual. And it was funny because Every, there, that's what happened. There was this, there was this just quiet chuckling. No one was going to, to overtly make fun of him, but, but there was this quiet chuckling because why is he saying that then? Why is he saying anything? If, if those words mean that to him, well, if I'm going to put my own meaning on the words, then I could say, oh, so what I hear you say is that all truth is absolute and that you ought to follow the Christian worldview. And he'll say, that's not what I said. And, I'll, and you can just simply respond, but that's what it meant to me. Because it's, 
it's just, it's, it's, I, I could not believe that I actually saw this right in front of my face and that someone <laughs> actually said that. But, but it is, it is valid. Now, the, the, the problem here is that this also has crept into the church. And the way that it has crept into the church, you'll see, is when someone takes scripture and they'll read a passage and they'll say, this is what it means to me. Well, it's true that the word of God is living and active, but it's also true that the author had a meaning when the author wrote that passage. And we cannot take scripture and say, and just force our own meaning into it that is alien to what the author had in mind. So it's, it's not a good thing when a believer will say, this is what this scripture means to me, if it, doesn't, if it isn't what the author had in mind in the first place. Now, I mean, if it goes right along with, with what Paul or David or Moses or whomever was saying, well, good, because that's what they meant in the first place. But if you're going to take it and twist it and say, yeah, this, this might have been in the original context, but this is what it means to me. That's, that's a problem. So, um, the, some of the good things about postmodernism, they want authenticity. They really want authenticity. Don't we want authenticity? We're seeing this a lot in our culture, and they smell phoniness a mile away. So, we, we see evidence of this in, say, for example, the rise of Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is an unlikely kind of, kind of candidate that is just wildly popular in a, in a political party that will claim all sorts of intersectionality and, and um, you know, m uh, minority status and this status and that status for a, a much older, rich, white man to, to be their, their front runner last time and this time, and last time is qualified, why do they like him so much? Even with, even with these other categories that they would otherwise reject him, they like him so much because to, to them, he is really authentic. He, he is just saying it like it is. He is, he is saying what is, what is authentic. There is not a hint of phoniness in him. That's why they like him, because they really want authenticity. That's why politics today is so disgusting to so many people, because people on both sides of the aisle, on every side of every aisle, are phony. They, they, they get on TV. They do these talking points, and you can see right through it, and you think, why are they even saying this? Because it's obvious they don't mean it. It's obvious it's not true. Why are they saying it? And yet they say it anyway, and so it's so repulsive to so many people. So that, to me, is a good thing, the search for authenticity, because Jesus is the most authentic you're ever going to get. They, they um, also, interestingly enough, I mentioned this before, they want community. Community, and we, we see this everywhere, there's such, a, there's such a big push for community. 
they're actually offended when the church does not have community because there is this, they, whether they were raised in the church, and at this point, a lot, of them, a, a lot of them were raised in the church. We haven't gotten so far away from Christianity that, that, that they haven't been raised in the church. A lot of them have. So a lot of them, whether they know everything about what the church claims or what the Bible says, they know that the church ought to have community. They know that much about the church, that the, that, that is one thing that the way the church should be according to the church, not, not according to something that they're putting on the church, but according to what the church says. And so when they see a lack of community in the church, just like um, when I was growing up, I really thought, I mean, I, I didn't literally think people were there punching their time clock, but to me, it really seemed like that people were just there because, well, now I can say that I've been to church, I've been a good person, I fulfilled my duty, and I can go home. There, that was it. I didn't, see any, I didn't see any sort of living life together. I didn't see any, I didn't see any of that. Now, maybe there was. I mean, I was a kid growing up. And so maybe there were other things going around as kids. We don't always see all the stuff that happens. But when, when a postmodernist sees authentic community, Jesus said, you, people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If we are living life together, having authentic community, that is huge. That, that says so much to a postmodernist. But if we're all just here as some sort of whatever, social club, they're going to look at you and say, yeah, I, I, why, why should I go there? Why should I get up early when I could be sleeping in just to spend some time, you know, standing up and sitting down and listening and whatever? I can do that somewhere else. So authentic community within the church is is critical just for people to witness. Um, I don't know how many of you have heard of Rosaria Butterfield, but um, she, she, for those of you who haven't, she um, was formerly a lesbian living with a woman deeply entrenched in the gay community. Um, she was a professor at Syracuse University of Women's Studies. So she was this she was deeply in that community and she for a research project she reached out to a local pastor that she knew because she needed to talk to a Christian for some research project that she was going to do a research paper I think that she was going to write and what happened over time was the pastor and his wife invited her into their home even no matter how she treated them, it was a long, it was over time and over time and over time, and she actually got to know them as people. And the thing was, in her gay community, they were so tight as a community that she, she would say, everybody knew that everybody knew the person whose door was open that night. There was always someone or multiple people who, if you needed somewhere to go, if you needed someone to talk to, there was a door open. You could just show up at somebody's house. And she admitted that was really, really hard for her to leave that, that, that community because she did not see that in the church. And, she, and since 
She has come to the Lord. She's actually now married to a, a Presbyterian uh, pastor back east, and she really works at establishing this level of community that if we are the family of God, we ought to be living as the family of God and not just, hey, brother, sister, see you next Sunday. There's much more to it. There's a lot of life that happens between from Sunday to Sunday. So this is important. Now, dealing with postmodernists, I hope you've gotten a sense that when you're dealing with a postmodernist, the most important thing is relationship. Relationship, relationship, relationship. They're, again, they're not going to listen to a whole slew of facts that you have, but they will listen to you if they know you care about them and you're just going to have a conversation. Are you, are, do they get the sense from you that you're just trying to lead them to Christ to get another notch on your spiritual belt? Or do they really understand that you care about them as an individual and that you're not trying to, to um, force them into your worldview? Again, the Holy Spirit can take care of that. Just be in relationship with them. Listen to them. Listen to what they have to say. You can disagree with all of it but you can listen to them and you can hear what it is that they're saying. In fact, I don't encourage you to agree with it if you don't agree with it because that's validating their point of view. Learn about, learn about them. Learn about what goes on in their world. And they won't be easily won. So this takes time. Find out from them points of agreement. As you talk to them over time, Find common ground, find bridges that you, can, that you can make with them because they're already suspicious of you because you claim to have the truth. Find areas where you agree and also find areas that you disagree and why. Find out, okay, we disagree on this thing here. Why? What, what, is, the, what is the thing that we disagree on? Because again, more information and more conversation is better than, than not. All right. And the, the final point before we get to objections is the postmodernist can say all of these things and say relative truth, you know, your truth, my truth, etc. But when it comes down to it, they still have to live in the world that God made. Now, what does that mean? They, they still they still bump up against the reality of this thing is wrong, this thing is right, even, if, even when they don't want to admit it. So in their quiet, in, in the, the times when they're reflective, they still will bump into these things regardless of if they don't want to. So do keep that in mind. The Holy Spirit works through all of these things. Now, Let's talk about some objections that they raise, that they raise to us. They say there is no absolute truth. Now, a number of the statements that you're seeing on there do what is called committing suicide. The, the statement itself commits suicide. What do I mean by that? that? It commits suicide because it cannot hold up to what it itself is saying. If, if the postmodernist wants to say there is no absolute truth, is that statement true? Or is it not? Because if, if that statement is true, then the statement defeats itself. 
But if that statement is not true, then it again, if it's not true, then what are we talking about? Um, if there is truth, we cannot know it. Well, again, do we know that to be true? So remember from, from week two, we talked about asking questions of people. So when people make these kind of statements, you don't have to respond back to them with, well, that's not true and here's why. You can, you can just ask them the question, is that true? Do you know that that's true? And because people, again, this is so prevalent in our culture that people make these kind of statements and they haven't thought them through at all. And if you just ask a simple question, all it does is force them to think, which probably they haven't thought about it before. And so then, then it stops them. Um, I was listening to uh, Greg Kogel podcast this week, and he said he was talking about being at the apologetics conference, and he said that he was at a... Um, he was getting ready to preach Sunday morning. He preached at a church in Bellevue and he was just drinking his coffee and just wanting to, at the hotel, he was checking out of the hotel and he was just tired, wanting to go over his notes. And this really bubbly waitress just came over and was just, wouldn't stop talking to him, trying to engage him. And he, and he says sometimes, he says, before my first cup of coffee in the morning, I'm an atheist. <laughs> and, um, and, and, he's, and he's saying this on air. He's saying, you know, I just was not into it. But I, I always say to the Lord, I'm your servant, whatever you want to do. And this woman was just saying all this postmodernist stuff, you know. Oh, that's great if it's great for you, blah, blah, blah. He was just asking her questions. All he did when she would make these kind of statements, he would just ask questions. And he was not even into it right? He just wanted to get back to his, his breakfast and looking over his notes before he had to get off to church. The thing that, I, that he pointed out was he thought he was making no headway with her whatsoever because she was just bubbly and she was just responding with her postmodernist, you know, oh, that's nice for you, etc. And when she came back, when he was about ready to leave, he, she said, you know, I've never thought about, I've never thought about what the questions that you were asking me before. You've given me a lot to think about. And he wasn't even, I mean, he was just, just asking her questions, not even really thinking about it that much, just really kind of wanting to get her off his back and so that he could go back to his coffee. But even so, even having a bad attitude, a selfish attitude, it still got her to think when she hadn't, she said, nobody has asked me these questions before. And it got her to think. So questions are so powerful. They'll say, Jesus isn't the only way to God. This is, this is an authority claim and this is a truth claim they're immediately going to be skeptical of. Well, again, how did you come to that conclusion? And it just, it's information and it keeps the conversation going. You're intolerant for claiming Christianity is the only way, or you're intolerant for claiming your way is the only way. Well, you can simply ask questions, what do you mean by intolerant? And they'll, they, a lot of times they'll say, well, you know, you think you're right and everybody else is wrong. And you can say, well, do you think that you're right? And it's just, it's just friendly questions to, to get them going. You shouldn't push your morality on others. 
This is, a, this is a very popular one today. You can say, this is, Theo, you'll like this, because this is a little more pushing back. You can say, well, then why are you pushing your morality on me? And that will stop them in their tracks because they'll, they'll say, what? I'm not pushing my morality on you. And you can say, well, isn't that your morality that I shouldn't push my morality on others? Well, then why are you pushing your morality on me? So you can see how questions, it's still, mo it's basically friendly, but it gets them thinking. So we have to wrap up now, but I wanted to, since we can do this, it, does anybody have any questions before we uh, wrap this all up? And if you do, wait for Bob to get to you with a microphone. Yes, Brett. Thanks for uh, uh, giving us that spectrum view of postmodernism because I, I'm glad modernism's thrown out because um, there was a lot to not like. But mm -hmm. um, two Christian authors and writers who are postmodernists, radical orthodoxy, John Milbank and James K.A. Smith, those are guys that take some of the good stuff of postmodernism and apply it to theology, um, and they're influential. I think the church is better off because we have those two guys just a, a resource to go to if you want to see Christian appropriation of the good stuff mm -hmm. and how that helps the church. James K.A. Smith, John Milbank. Thanks, Brett. Who would you say most postmodernists would consider who is God? Is God, is it the state? Is it kind of a Jesus they've made up? Is it just kind of a broad spectrum? As with all postmodernism, that goes, comes down to the individual. A lot of, most postmodernists um, would be atheists or even pantheists. Uh, my brother, for example, he, he would say some pantheistic things like we're all aspects of God. But then he would say, well, Jesus is a yogi who did a lot of personal inner work and attained spiritual enlightenment, et cetera, et cetera. So literally everyone is different. There's no, there is no um, postmodernists are this. <clears throat> I just want to make a comment and say thank you for reminding us about questioning and, and we can sit here and say it's incredulous, it's unbelievable. How can these people not be asking themselves these questions? We think about, say for example, just the history of science. It took about 2,000 years for somebody to, to uh, set up an incline and roll a ball down and ask, you know, at what speed does it do it? Or why does this book, you know, fall to the ground? Uh, a lot of thinking had gone into nature and physics and those kind of things from the pre-Socratics all the way to Newton. Mm -hmm. But it was the 17th century before anybody ever asked those questions. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a tremendous way to, to go about engaging people with these, these questions because they just don't think to ask them themselves. So thank you for that. Thanks, Jeff. I guess so. So how modern is this thinking given that we have historical accounts of each man doing what was right in his own eyes? Well, this goes, I mean, it, really, postmodernism goes all the way back to the garden. Did God really say? So it's not new. It, 
it's just, it, it kind of comes and goes. I mean, um, Socrates was dealing with this with the, with the sophists. They were claiming cultural, cultural and uh, cultural relativism at the time. So it's, you're right, it's not new. I think that we do have to wrap it up. This but. is our last question. Okay. Um, I noticed that um, when you were starting to talk about relativism, that you kind of referenced when talking to your brother that you started talking to him on his own terms. Mm -hmm. um, and have you found that that is really, because that's kind of what I'm hearing is in really engaging people, mm -hmm. that you're kind of getting down into their worldview and you're speaking to them on their own terms and you feel like, have, have you found that that's been really helpful in them opening up and engaging you in those conversations? Yes, because as soon as you start to make um, absolute truth claims, this is the way it is, no, you're wrong, here's these facts, it's just gonna shut down the conversation. And, and you wanna have relationship, ongoing relationship with these people. It is good to put stones in their shoe along the way, you never want to. You never want to just adopt their worldview and say, "Yes, that's right. Oh, yes, I like that. Yes, I like that." They're interested in you and what you have to say. They're interested in your story and your path. So share that with them, but find that common ground because that it progresses the the relationship and the the conversation. All right, we got to wrap it up. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this morning. I ask that, that um, if we don't have postmodernists that we know of in our lives, that you would bring them into our lives according to your will, and that you would help us to love them and have relationship with them and, and live authentically before them so that, so that our lives with you can be a witness to them. Which, which will speak to them. Would you give us wisdom and discernment and, and guidance when we have interactions with these people? And would you give us the love for them that you have for them? In Jesus' name, amen.